Our mission is to reach people for Christ, to give them a place to belong, and to help them grow in their faith as we are and increasingly become a family of families. And so I'm excited today. We've been talking about church planting over these last few weeks. Uh, We were really blessed to have a fantastic finish to the year, and some funds were given specifically for church planting. And that's significant because Linwood has a long history of planting churches that plant churches. And over the last 20 plus years, they've been involved in planting churches here in Sioux Falls that now reach thousands of people in our community. And both of those churches are planting churches uh, throughout the region and even in places far away from here. And we're excited to not only be launching a congregation in our own building with our African church, um, but also to be uh, partnering with our district in planting a church in Spokane, Washington. So we've been talking about some of these things. Uh, We were able to give funds to Table Church in Des Moines, which is sort of like a grandchild church of Linwood. We parented a church that planted here in Sioux Falls, and then they planted a church in Des Moines, and we gave those funds right as COVID-19 was hitting, and they were able to purchase video equipment and launch a website for their community, and uh, we were able to reach out to our district and say, is there a church plant in the district in the next year? where we might be able to partner and, and have what I called a disproportionate uh, influence and relationship with that church. And uh, right away, our district superintendent, Wes, said, I know just the church, and you're not going to believe this. They're going to be a perfect fit for Linwood uh, in so many ways. And so uh, he connected me with Kevin Goss, who's here with his family, Barb, and Ben, who I've been calling Dylan on all of our slides and in front of you all. And so don't call him Dylan. Call him Ben, because I got that one wrong. Um, and so their family is here to become a part of our family of families today, you're going to hear directly from Kevin. He's got a fantastic message that fits right in with our series on being on the heart of a disciple, and it fits in also with the call that God has on their lives to plant a church in Spokane. And so this is a special Sunday, and I want to invite Kevin to come up and join me on stage. I'm going to pass things over to him. He's going to share with you. Would you give him a warm welcome? So he's got a word um, that I know is going to be a blessing to our congregation, to our family, and uh, then I'll come up at the end of the service and tell you how you can hear more. So thank you, Kevin. So grateful to be here and so grateful for your pastor, for Pastor Mark and his heart. Uh, it is really just a joy. And what this is so great to see like people able to worship in church as well as online. I imagine some of you had a little bit of cabin fever during the spring. Was I the only one? I was just ready to, ready to get out. And as we come this morning, I do have with me, you'll see a slide go up uh, behind me. You've got my family. I couldn't bring all of them. Um, my wife, Barb, is here. We've been married 31 years, and so I married her when she was 10. And I'm she, our, my running joke that's not so much a joke is as we age, she's timeless and I age. So that's okay. And uh, we've been married 31 years and we have four kids, uh, Kyle, Hannah, Haley, and Ben. Our youngest, Ben, is with us. He's going to be a senior in high school. Um, our oldest, Kyle, he spent five years active in the Marines. Uh, he's an aircraft mechanic on the military plane called the Osprey and now is in Huntsville, Alabama with his, as a contractor 
with his wife and two daughters, Lily and Abigail. Um, Hannah, you'll see in the, that's uh, Hannah there, her husband, Tim. They have three kids, uh, Eliel, Asa, and Hadassah, and their fourth child is due in early August. Little Eden Mercy is almost here. And they have just moved to Seattle as church planters uh, in the Wesleyan Church as well. So we'll be about five hours away from them. And then our daughter Haley, the one who just looks beautiful and radiant in her wedding dress. This wedding was from September uh, on the western slope of Colorado, about an hour south of Grand Junction. And her and her husband Daniel are there. Uh, no grandchildren yet. I've told them, come on, let's go. And their dad, we want to wait a few years. And uh, so we are grateful to have our children, our grandchildren, and we are so happy to be with you. As Pastor Mark has told you, we are planting a church in Spokane, Washington. Uh, it's going to be called Thrive Church, and really God's put on our hearts that we are to be deeply rooted and boldly sent. And as the Lord called Barb and I to this, and Ben, uh, at this stage of specifically for Barb and I in our lives, uh, it's really, you say, a family of families. We've been in ministry now since 1991. So for almost 30 years, we've been pastors. And we did pastor one church in that time for 18 years. And so we, we have a heartbeat for a ministry that is generational and touches a community. And we just believe that God's going to help us do that in the, in the Spokane area as well. Uh, but this morning, I've been given the privilege of talking about in the heart of a disciple uh, what it is to be called and you know if you kind of it's that one word you could so to speak hang your hat on for this message is that we, all of us as disciples as followers of Jesus Christ uh, are called and and as you're as you're looking at your notes and you're used to kind of having that that bottom line that sentence that says what really is the essence of what we're going to dig into and explore today you'll see the phrase a messenger of the gospel is always timely because the message of the gospel is timeless. Let me explain. I don't know about you, but have there ever been times you were concerned that maybe you would mess up witnessing for Christ? Maybe you would say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing. You know, the, the word for culture, it simply means the way we do things here. And normally the way we learn culture is by doing the wrong thing at the wrong time by accident. I was on a mission trip in Albania in 1994. It was only four years after communism fell. And we were told that at that time in Albania, if someone shook their head no, that meant yes. And if they shook their head yes, that meant no. Well, as you can imagine, that was a little bit confusing. So one evening when I was at our host home there in Doris, Albania, and they were motioning if I wanted more food. I was actually full, but without thinking, I went, oh no, I'm fine. And, you know, I get this plate full of food, and culturally, I had to eat what was on the plate, and so as I'm kind of getting it down. And so culture, the way we do things here, means that sometimes we're concerned that when we witness to others, Lord, where is it that I witness? How should I witness? When should I win? How does my life shine? Well, the reason that the message of the gospel is timely is the Holy Spirit, through his word, through his presence, through the church that you're part of, he teaches you and he grows you so that you will be timely. The what? That's the message. That's timeless. It's eternal. And today we're going to use 
a couple of interactions that Jesus had with Peter to kind of help us explore, and I believe hopefully even gain more confidence on how God wants to help us live out that sense of being called. Uh, I'm going to begin by reading in Luke chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses 4 through 11, and it says this. When he had finished speaking, Jesus said to Simon, put out to the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. We've not caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish, their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come to help them. And when they came and filled both boats, they were so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. He and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were Simon's partners. But then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. And so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. You know, Peter's first reaction is actually pretty understandable. First, he was in awe because of what Jesus had done. You know, it was estimated by some scholars that this was a year's catch in one fishing trip. I know what it is to fish and not catch. How about you? Can you imagine one year at one, but for a fisherman who did this, this was an overwhelming sign that Jesus was given that who he was and who he is. But the second part was Jesus realized who he wasn't. And he was aware of his sin, his brokenness, his shortcoming. I don't know what it is Peter did, but there's a, a series that's come out in recent months called The Chosen, which starts to depict maybe what some of those things could look like. And I believe they powerfully demonstrated what that moment could have looked like for Peter when he surrendered to Jesus. My brother and the baptizer. <laughs> you are the Lamb of God, yes? I am. Depart from me. I am a sinful man. You don't know who I am and the things I've done. Don't be afraid, Simon. I'm sorry. We, we've waited for you for so long. We believe. But my faith, I'm sorry. <laughs> Lift up your head, fisherman. <laughs> what do you want from me? Anything you ask, I will do. Follow me. I will. John one fourteen says that Jesus 
as he became flesh, the word became flesh, that he was full of grace and truth. And that depiction of what we know actually happened historically in the scriptures. What is it? The truth of Christ. The truth is, is that through his words and through who he is, we see who we are. We're sinners in need of a savior. But his grace, it tells us that it's not the end of the story. And so today, as we talk about the heart of a disciple, I want to use the example of Jesus in this interaction with Peter, as we just read in the scriptures, and one more that we'll read in a few moments, and see how Jesus teaches us on how it is that our calling can come through as we reach and teach others. You see, Jesus, when he comes to Peter, it's because Jesus came to humanity. We know the scripture, Isaiah 7, 14, that a virgin will be with child, but it tells us something very important about Jesus, that one of the names of God he fulfills is Emmanuel. And many of you know it. What does that mean? God with us. You see, Jesus in coming to humanity, he models what I call proximity in evangelism and discipleship, meaning he, did, he wasn't far, he came close. Philippians 2 describes it, it says that Jesus emptied himself, right, and became a servant. One translation parallel describes it this way, Jesus emptied himself of his privileges and became a servant. Whenever we read in the scriptures about the glory that God the Son experienced prior to what we call the incarnation, and then he came and put on human flesh, here's what it tells me. There is nobody that I'll ever meet, and there's nobody that you will ever meet that's beneath you. If Jesus was willing to come alongside me, if he was willing to come alongside you, what that means is, he was willing to become a servant. He'd say, well, Kevin, there's a lot of broken people. I didn't say that there aren't people living beneath what God's plan actually is for their life. What I'm saying is the proximity of the gospel teaches us there's no one beneath us, but there's plenty of people that are living beneath what the destiny of God has for them if they will just come to Jesus in salvation. Jesus... He also teaches us that everyone has the same invitation. It's the one that he told Peter. What's he tell Peter? What do we, come and do what? Follow me, Jesus says. Now, in our lives, we have unique callings. We understand that, right? Some people are called to a certain job, a vocation, maybe ministry. There are people who feel a sense of calling to be parents or to have family. There are people who maybe feel called to live in a certain place or friends that God brings in their life. In other words, we have the uniqueness of the purpose of God, but that's a secondary calling. The first calling everyone has is the same, and that is to follow me. What Jesus models here is relationship. I, I heard a pastor say it this way. Jesus loves me right where I am, but he loves me too much to leave me there. You see, in relationship, when we come to people, what does it mean as he calls Peter to be a fisher of men? I, I like to put it this way. Jesus catches them, but he calls us to be part of it, but we trust that he's the one who then does the cleaning. 
I had a youth pastor when I was back in Colorado Springs, and he told it this way in a sermon. He said, who, after having a hard day working outside, would go to take a shower and then would grab a washcloth and wash themselves off before they got in the shower? Of course, the teens, and you know, they kind of thought that was pretty funny, the idea of that. Well, the point is, is that sometimes when we, we want to bring people to Jesus, we sometimes wonder, well, man, they're, they're kind of a mess. And Jesus says, no, 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 don't worry. You let me work through you to do the catching. I know how to forgive and restore and to clean. Jesus models relationship. But we also see in his interactions with Peter that Jesus picks us up when we fall. He doesn't condone our sin, but he doesn't let our sin be the last word. We know Peter. He was the disciple who opened his mouth to change feet sometimes, right? When he succeeded, it was amazing. I mean, we can criticize Peter that he only walked on the water for a few seconds, but I don't mind. But he, he did it, right? He's the only person that we know of in human history other than Jesus himself who walked on water for a few seconds. He's the one who proclaimed you are the Christ, right? When, he, when Jesus asked, who do men say that I am in Matthew 16? But when Peter failed, he was epic. You remember the night of the Last Supper. Everyone's proclaiming and saying, no, Jesus, we won't deny you, we won't betray you. And Peter even said it this way, even if they all do, I won't. Talk about throwing your buddies under the bus, Right? He's like, hey, listen, I know these 12. I'd have the confidence in me if it was you, Jesus. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, Satan's asked for you that he may sift you like wheat. But when you return, encourage the brethren. In spite of the tremendous things that Peter did, Peter was relying too much upon his own strength to live out his relationship with Jesus. I think some of us, we know that mistake, right? We're saved by Jesus, but then somehow we try to prove something to him, and we recognize that, wait, not only am I saved by grace, but I have to live by grace. And Jesus knew that, that Peter, there were some things that needed to be broken out of him, and it wasn't going to be pretty. And he told Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me. How many times? Three. The Gospel of Luke tells us that, that Peter goes out and weeps bitterly. The resurrection comes on the third day. And then during that 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension, Jesus appeared to the disciples at different moments. And one of them is recorded in John chapter 21. And it's Jesus restoring Peter by the Sea of Galilee. It says in verse 15, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, well, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. 
Jesus said, feed my sheep. Ah, yes, the third time, the reminder of the three betrayals. But what Jesus did here is he models the restoring power of sacrificial love. He didn't deny to Peter what he had done, but he said, Peter, I've got something better for you. And we know that 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it was Peter who stood on the day of Pentecost and gave the transforming message in the power of the Holy Spirit, speaking the truth of God's word, in which 3,000 were saved and baptized that day. It's amazing. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it this way, He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Did you ever trade things when you were a kid? I mean, maybe you're an older sibling. I'm sure maybe you didn't do this. But I remember in our family of four, there was a moment when one of my older kids said to a younger sibling, I'll tell you what, I'll give you these four pennies for that one quarter. And of course, the, the, the younger sibling was like, I get four? Right? And, and then what happens is, is they think they're doing great, but the older sibling did what? They're like, score. You know, and they put, when we make trades, we want to come out on the, the winning side or the advantageous side. Jesus, he offers a trade for us in which we win every time. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. He says, hey, Kevin, give me all of your junk every failure, every shortcoming, every sin. And I'll tell you what I'll do. Through my blood, I will put on you right standing with God. When the Father looks at you, he will see my righteousness. That's the trade that I offer. And that's what he did for Peter. And so we see now in these bookend examples, Peter was invited to do two things, to be a fisher of men and a feeder of sheep. The fisher of men, it alludes to when someone has not yet come to Christ but needs to come to Christ. In other words, they may not know much about God. A feeder of sheep is when those who have some knowledge of God or a relationship with him to grow in them. And we see this, how God did this. On the day of Pentecost, these were followers of God from all over the globe. As far as they understood, they were worshiping the Lord as he prescribed in his word. They were obeying the Old Testament but the Holy Spirit through Peter revealed to them that they had missed the Messiah and had actually crucified him. Their response to Peter, what do we do? And they came to understand that if they saw the God of the universe, Jesus, God the Son, as the Messiah, as he really is, that they would experience salvation. We see Paul, when he preached in Athens, the people had no knowledge of God's word. And he started with creation. You see, whether or not you're starting with somebody who is new, fish, or someone who needs to grow in their faith, sheep, Jesus calls us to both, and he wants us to be timely in it, meaning you'll know what to, you'll know what to say, but you'll also know when to say it, where to say it, how to say it. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 3 that we plant and water, but who gives the increase? God does. And then we're invited to be part of something much bigger than us. I want to give you an example of it. Where an everyday person in a church just like this became part of 
something that God used to bring tens of millions of people to Christ. He was a Sunday school teacher in the Chicago area right after the Civil War. His name was Edward Kimball, and he was teaching teenagers. Now, I love teenagers. I have four kids. They've all grown up. I have one teenager left. Um, I don't know, though, if I've ever volunteered to teach the youth group. I was a pastor at 21, and they thought I automatically would be good with teens. But God had called me to be a senior elite pastor from the time I was 14. I really wasn't as good at it. But Edward Kimball, wow, he was good at it. And he had this kind of unruly teen in his youth group or his Sunday school class. And one day he took the courageous step of saying to him, Dwight, you need to give your life to Jesus. Dwight did. His last name was Moody. And Dwight Moody became the, really, we say, the greatest evangelist of the second half of the 1800s. While Moody was doing his ministry, he went over to England to speak there, and he discipled a pastor named F.B. Meyer. F.B. Meyer then was preaching, and he came over years later to America, and at a Bible conference called the Northeast Bible Conference, he says, if you're not willing to give everything to Jesus, are you willing to let him bring you to a place where you would? Sitting in that service was a man named J. Wilbur Chapman, a pastor, a young pastor who was discouraged at that time in his ministry. Chapman recounts that in that moment that the words of F.B. Meyer were so transforming and powerful that God used them, it changed his life, and he went on to be a powerful traveling evangelist through the early part of the 1900s. And in fact, he got the chance to disciple this great young evangelist who used to be a professional baseball player. For those of you who know your history, you might remember the name of the pastor he discipled named Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday became one of the more powerful evangelists through, around the nation in that first 20 or 30 years of the 20th century. He had an amazing revival in Charlotte, North Carolina. And some years later, some of the men and women who'd been part of that revival said, you know what, we need a fresh touch in Charlotte, North Carolina. And so they invited a pastor named Mordecai Ham to come. Mordecai Ham was doing the revival meetings, and frankly, it wasn't going well. I, I, I don't know if you know what it's like, but pastors know when they're preaching a message and they feel like it's not going anywhere, right? You're kind of going, I don't know. God, I know you're in this, but whew. And so Mordecai prayed one night, God, we need an outpouring. We need your Holy Spirit to move. And the next night, there was a teenager who went forward to give his life to Christ in 1934. It was an October evening. He was a teenager named Billy Graham. Starting in 1946, Billy Graham began a ministry that spanned decades. They estimate that over 100 million people gave their lives to Christ through his ministry. He'd say, Kevin, what does it have to do with Sioux Falls? Ah, there's one more part to the story. There was a boy who came from a broken home, was pretty misbehaved, and his, his, his mother considered sending him to military school, but his father, because they were divorced, they were apart, the father said, let me try him. Well, the boy needed his dad. Turns out he needed his stepmom too. And on June 20th, 1979, 
on a small black and white TV, this little boy at 10 was watching Billy Graham, of all things. He felt the Holy Spirit drawing him. We call that the conviction. It's like when you know God's talking and the heart starts pounding and God wants you to respond in some way and you just kind of... And that 10-year-old boy gave his life to Christ. He said, how do you know he was only 10 because that 10-year-old boy was me? And then when I was 14, God called me to ministry. Didn't start pastoring until 21. I've had those ups and downs, but God has been faithful through everything. And now this morning, I have the privilege of talking about what it means to live out a calling to Jesus here at Linwood. I don't know if Edward Kimball had any idea, in fact, I doubt he had any idea that when he took the courageous step of putting his hand on Dwight Moody's shoulder and saying, Dwight, you need Jesus. That the faithfulness of that layman in his church, that literally hundreds of millions of people either are in heaven or will be in heaven because of the obedience step of one person. Don't underestimate how God wants to work through your life. Okay, we may not know what it all looks like till heaven. I, I, I may not know all the ripple effects of what God's going to do in you and through you, but I can promise you, you get to be part of something bigger than any one of us individually, but you can be personally connected to the work of God. So as we kind of tie it together and come to a close, what are we saying? If we are living out our calling to reach people for Christ and evangelism and train them up as disciples of Jesus, we have to be in proximity to others, just like Jesus was. He left heaven and he came to earth, which means God will call us outside of our comfort zones and connect with people and be in relationship with them. But God promises to empower us and fill us with his Holy Spirit, with his word, and he works in us through churches to share the restoring power of sacrificial love. And just as Jesus did, he promises to help us to communicate the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Christ, in a way that people can understand, respond, and apply to their lives. And then we get a front row seat of seeing Jesus change people. Like the Holy Spirit told Paul, one plants the seed, another waters, but God gives the increase. You can have the confidence of knowing that if you would just live out that calling, whatever it is, we know the first one is Jesus saying to you, follow me. Whatever that secondary calling is, however he directs and guides your life, you can have the confidence of knowing your example of Christ can be timely. It can be when it needs to be, how it needs to be, where it needs to be, because Jesus has already given us the timeless message of truth. And so, you're part of Thrive Church in Spokane. You say, Kevin, who do you know there? No one. But guess what? God is going to lead us to lots of people 
that he loves. And we are so grateful that you would share with us on this journey. So whether it's Spokane or if it's whatever God wants to do through you in Sioux Falls, may God help us to respond when Jesus says to us, come, follow me. Let's pray together. Lord, I am so grateful for everything that you have done to bring us to this moment in time. No one is here by accident today, whether they're online or in person in the sanctuary. And there are people here today who have a specific appointment with your Holy Spirit. It could be someone who's, as they're listening, they know things aren't right with them and you. Like Peter, they, they're, they're, their gut reactions to push away and say, depart from me, but out of love, you just say, no, 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 whatever it is that sin, that doesn't have to be the final answer. Jesus, you're the final answer. And so whether online or in person, if there's anyone who needs to, to just say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Forgive me for putting me ahead of you. I believe that you're God, and I sure know that I'm not. Forgive me, I surrender my life to you. I'm a Christian. Or there could be others, they're your kids, they, they've been your kids, whether it's for a year or decades, but they needed to be reminded today that their life is part of something bigger than themselves and they can be encouraged and empowered in that. We reject the lies of the enemy in the name of Jesus that would minimize the value and the importance of any life in this room or online. Thank you for working through Edward Kimball, who's been with you a long time now, but just as he was obedient that day, I ask that your Holy Spirit would bless and anoint the obedience of your children here. And so, Father, we, we are privileged to together begin walking a relationship. I pray that you would bless Linwood and Pastor Mark and just continue to multiply their impact. It's amazing how over the last 20 years, literally thousands, if not tens of thousands of people around the world have their names written in your book of life because of their faithfulness. And I thank you that you still want lots of kids. And so in Sioux Falls and Spokane, help us to walk this journey together. You have called us, Lord. And we say yes to your call of follow me. In Jesus' name, amen.